Hello, and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Shenick & King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf-Price. On today's episode, we welcome back Andy Bobrek, a member of the law firm practicing in Bond's Labor and Employment Department in our Syracuse office. Thanks for coming back to the podcast, Andy. Thank you for having me, Kim. Great to be back with you. And congrats to you on the success of the podcast and your tremendous work as the hostess with the mostess. Thank you so much. Thanks. Well, I mean, this was your idea, I think, this podcast. You got us started. So it's only fitting that you're coming back for our 100th episode. Can you believe that's where we are? Uh, Yeah, that's a testament to your hard work and dedication for sure. Congrats. It's, uh, I think, one of those important milestones. So when it comes to a thousand, why don't we... uh, come back then. All right, definitely. But you have to come back somewhere between now and a thousand too. Okay, okay? fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. And a big shout out to Kate Fabia, our producer, who makes everybody sound so good with her editing skills. You know, (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that too. She has really put a ton of effort behind this and vision behind it. And for those who are listening, right, all too often, our staff who are just tremendous here that support us in so many different ways, you know, we're out in front, we're talking with the clients, but We could not do what we do and nowhere close to it without having such a tremendous group of supporting staff who take excellent care of us. So shout out to Kate and and all of them because you really make it a great place to work and our clients appreciate it too. I agree 100%. Thanks for saying that, Andy, because it's completely true. Yeah. Um, You also spent some time in the summer 2022 guest hosting some special episodes. What'd you think of that experience? Yeah, it it was much harder than just being a guest. I will say that. So it was excellent perspective for me to appreciate all the better your your hard work and what it takes to to pull it off. I did enjoy it. It was definitely fun. I picked a great group of people. I think we talked about, gosh, recreational marijuana, gambling, and beer cultivation. So the the topics were, yeah, you know, interesting ones to say the least. I think Kate came up with the idea of the the Summer of Fun series, and she nailed that one too. So it was a great, great opportunity. I appreciated it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And we were really appreciated you stepping in to do that. So thank you for the idea, the guest hosting, and of course, for joining us again as a guest. So Right. If I were a a non-labor lawyer observing what is happening today, I'd say the labor part of labor and employment is really ramping up. Today, I'd like to focus on development at the National Labor Relations Board, including ones that employers without unions should probably pay attention to as well. And then maybe what we're learning from union organizing at high profile companies, because you are, after all, a labor and employment attorney, not just a guest host for podcasts. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, and my wife would probably say it's a good thing that hosting podcasts isn't my full-time job, but <laughs> I, I, you picked a great topic. It's it's one as a labor and employment attorney, of course, I'm keenly interested in and, and closely track. And for those who are listening who may not be as familiar with the practice area, you heard us say labor and employment, and, and our practice really falls in two buckets. Uh, on the one side is the employment work, and that will be from the management perspective where where I practice, that'll be defending clients in the course of employment litigation, administrative proceedings where there are claims of harassment, discrimination, retaliation. And we do a lot of counseling day to day with HR professionals and organizational business institutional leaders on the growing list of compliance items that they have to address and the pitfalls they need to navigate 
on a daily basis, especially for those who operate in New York or, or other states in the Northeast or out West. So that's you know, part of what we do in a big part, for sure. The other part, and I would say to me, the part that I find most interesting is that we'll recall is the traditional labor law work. And, and that entails us working with clients uh, in businesses in the private sector, nonprofit organizations who either have a union in place and they have a myriad issues that they need to deal with there in terms of collective bargaining, grievance and arbitration processing, day-to-day contract adherence. And there's a lot there that can be unpacked, but also working with clients who are union-free and want to remain union-free and implementing strategies to achieve that end and to maintain compliance in the process. And I think back, Kim, to when I was in law school at Syracuse, and I had to take a lot of bar basic classes just because I was doing my master's at the same time, and I didn't have a lot of flexibility to make sure I, I got those core bar classes in. But the first elective I did take was labor law. It happened to be taught by a management side labor attorney. And as I sat in the class, it was clearly evident from a very early point that this area of the law is tremendously influenced politically. And as I'm sure we'll talk about, I think even more so today than in the past, but tremendously influenced politically by whatever party is holding the White House currently. We've seen back and forth. And in essence, I think listeners can think of a pendulum that that swings based on the decision making uh, and enforcement activities of the National Labor Relations Board. On one end of the the pendulum where it swings is more of a pro-management, pro-business point of view and interpretation of the law. And on the other is the pro-employee, pro-union. And I thought at the time, well, hey, this is a great area of the law to practice in, right? The law is always going to be changing (laughs) and these poor clients are going to need help no matter what. So there'll always be business to be had. And I'm sure to my client's chagrin, that's the case. And I wish for them it was a little less dynamic than it is. But you're right. It's a very interesting area right now. We're seeing just really unparalleled swings of the pendulum. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. It is always active because I think this is the first time you've been on the podcast and we're not talking about COVID response, right? So labor and employment lawyers have been incredibly busy in a whole different area before. So it's nice that we can switch topics. But I don't know that listeners really realize how much changes with administration changes. I mean, there's the labor issues, antitrust issues, things with Title IX, like big things that impact people's lives can really shift. And the lawyers need to come in to help the businesses when you're on the management and um, employer side deal with those varying shifts. Yeah. And certainly during the pandemic, and I'd say continuing afterwards, clients just had so much thrown at them at once. So much. And and this is all putting aside, right, the day-to-day challenges that they're facing in terms of just trying to maintain a, a full complement of staff and maintain, you know, supplies and resources, right, which was and remains challenging. So it was certainly a lot on their plate and rewarding at the same time that we could play a role. It's, it's certainly nice to successfully defend your your client against allegations and claims that are made in court or administrative proceedings. And certainly they appreciate that. But I enjoy the, the day-to-day counseling too, where you can come together and you can collaborate and solve problems. And, and we had to do a lot of that during the pandemic because all too often you had 
hastily drafted legislation, regulations, guidance that you know was really hard to square up. And our clients needed answers. And that's one of the great things about Bond and you know that we're a general practice firm, cover all the key areas, including our labor and employment group, where we have a really robust group of 70 plus lawyers who just focus on this area. And we could come together and meet. And we did you know, every other day when things were really a, a bit crazy. For like eight in the morning. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Every morning. It was nice to have that load lightened a bit, certainly for our clients, but it, it continues. So much going on. You mentioned we didn't get into your background because you've been on before, but you you did mention you went to Syracuse University College of Law. That's where you graduated from. We're both alum of that fine institution. Yes. Um, and you grew up in central New York. And did you summer at Bond Shenikin King? I did. I summered between you know, the, the traditional slot between your second and third year. I grew up in Syracuse, was from the area. And so I had my sights settled on being here, but I was a, a non-traditional law student, so I'd worked for a bunch of years out of undergrad and before law school. And I remember walking around towards the end of, I think it would have been my 1L year, seeing signs, you know, hey, do you have your submissions ready for on-campus interviews? And thinking, well, what's that? <laughs> so went, went to your office, Kim, and said, hey, is this something I should be doing? And they said, yes, definitely. <laughs> so I got my resumes together and got everything ready for on-campus interviews when I came back my 2L year and met with bond attorneys who were doing that, you know, one of whom I had been sitting next to for a few weeks at swim lessons, right? His, so his daughter was there. Yeah. Bob Tyson, his daughter was there and, and my daughter was there. And we had you know struck up a nice conversation every week. So it was funny to see him there uh, at the interview at you know, that I think speaks to one of the nice things about, you know, a medium-sized city and practicing here is yeah. you have those overlaps. That's great. I, lo- I love that. Maybe you can help me convince Bob to be on the podcast. Maybe He'd that'll... be great. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a great sense of humor. So I think listeners would enjoy it. I think so, too. And he can talk to us about environmental law. So a, a different topic altogether. Like you said, because we are a firm that has all those sort of necessary practice groups for a business to run. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's such an important thing for me that when my clients have an issue that falls outside of my area in labor and employment, that I have someone here who knows the answer to the question that needs to be answered, who can provide the guidance, who has the experience in that realm that the client needs. And I know all these people. I always say we're not too big. We're not too small. We're a great size where I know these people, I have good relationships with them, they have good relationships with me, and and then that lends itself to this synergy that ultimately, I think, really brings value to our clients. They don't have to go elsewhere, they don't have to hunt for somebody new to address an issue that you know their other attorney may not be aware of how to handle. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. Well, one of the things that you do a lot for uh, those of us who don't practice in labor and employment law is explain it to us. And so when we talk on the podcast, I'd like to sort of build the conversation so that non-lawyers or people who practice in other areas can follow us. So I started out and I mentioned the National Labor Relations Board. Do you want to talk a little bit about what they are and how they're coming to play in this issue that we're talking about, this pendulum swing maybe a little bit? I'm happy to, yes. So the National Labor Relations Board is consists of five individuals and traditionally three of whom are appointed and hold fixed terms and that are 
appointed by whoever is, is in the White House at the time. Joe Biden as a president right now. President Biden has appointed a majority to the National Labor Relations Board right now. Their job is to ultimately adjudicate cases that work their way up to them for decision making. And it starts with a charge being filed with the board and an administrative office, and that could claim any number of things, right? Well, it could be a petition saying, we, the union, want to represent these workers, and that could flow up all the way uh, to the board, depending on the issues. It could be situations where an employee says, hey, look at this provision in my employer's handbook, I think is overly broad and violates the National Labor Relations Act. And in specific sections that are designed to, to protect me as an employee, and, and notably, right, even where there isn't a union in place, employees can file those charges. That charge can work its way all the way up to the board through this administrative process, through a hearing before an administrative law judge. And what those processes are designed to do, right, are, are determine what happened to something from a factual standpoint with witnesses under oath and affidavits given. But then also, you know, apply the law to those facts. And you know, the law is not always clear on points. I go back to the kind of central function of the National Labor Relations Act is to protect employees engaging in certain activities that are protected under law, right? To, for example, talk about pay or benefits, to be critical in certain circumstances of, of working conditions, and express those without fear of retaliation, which I think makes sense to folks. Uh, but also, you know, the right to join and form a union, right? That's really a core principle. The other part that often gets left out, certainly on the other side, where that you have pro-union and, and pro-employee advocates, it's the right to not join a union too, right? The, the act cuts both ways. So I go back to my pendulum analogy, right? And I think it's, think of the act that way, the right to form or join a union or the right not to at its core and the pendulum swinging between those two ends. So you have a board majority of three pro-employee, pro-union members. These are, these are attorneys uh, by trade who either worked as adversaries that I might face in the, in the course of a case who represent unions and employees and grievances and arbitrations and unfair labor practice proceedings or who worked in-house at unions, right? In council unions internally on those points. So they're working very hard now to push the pendulum more towards the union side of the swing. Uh, and really in some unprecedented ways uh, that we're working with our clients extensively on. There were a number of rulings that sort of came out, felt like close in time, right? Like a, a sort of a flurry at the end of 2022 and some in 2023 that now, you know, you and the other attorneys at Bond are really trying to help the uh, the clients understand and get a grasp on, aren't there? Most definitely. And usually there's a bit of a lag from when there is a party changeover in the White House that it takes a little while because, you know, these cases, they have to percolate through the administrative process, right? There has to be a charge that's filed. There has to be an investigation. If there's merit to the investigation, there's a hearing. The hearing has to be held and there has to be a, a decision issued on that. And then there can be appeal to the board. So it takes time for these issues to sort out through that process. And 
I chuckle now because I used to, when I'd speak on this this subject and kind of the, the political influence on the labor board or really other areas of employment law too, I'd say, you know, it'd be much easier if we just had like the, the Democrat rules and the Republican rules and we could just, whoever's in office and is charged, we can just plug those rules in and then at least our clients know what to expect. That's and funny. for a while, we we got pretty close to that, you know, where it was, okay, well, so-and-so's in charge. I know we're going to be dealing with this sort of role and we could read the tea leaves, if you will, a little bit better. But what we've seen more recently is some real aggressive pushes to expand the scope of the law. That's nothing new, right? And we see it push both ways. But right now you have a, a very aggressive general counsel at the board, Jennifer Abruzzo, who is doggedly trying to expand the scope. Probably if you were to interview her, she would say, well, I'm just trying to make sure the the laws interpreted the way that it should be. Uh, From my perspective, it's really trying to broaden it. And once upon a time, I thought that this was a, a board who has seen tremendous declines in unionization in the private sector. Uh, it declined, you know, even amidst all these changes, it declined its single digits, you know, seven and something percent. I think of private sector workers are unionized, used to be in the 40s. Wow. 40 percentages. Yeah. Back in, you know, really the heyday of the automobile industry and American manufacturing. And it's it's continued to decline. So I used to think this is an agency just trying to stay relevant in, in focusing on these areas and in non-unionized work environments. But I think there's an ideological push to this too. And just as I would submit to you and listeners, it's unfortunate that things have gotten so polarized. It can be hard for some to even have conversations, civil conversations about disagreements in these and you know, split families and friends and so much else over these these recent years. But because of that, I think that we've seen that ideological gap grow and we've seen Jennifer Abruzzo try to push the, the boundaries of the law. And she does that through issuing memorandums to the regional offices. And those regional offices are the ones who are charged with receiving and investigating complaints. So what, what the general counsel is saying is, hey, we think this is an interesting area. And um, we think this is one where if an employer does X, then they've likely violated the national labor relations law. And by coming up with what I would say are novel theories that really haven't been thoroughly adjudicated through the process in the past or by changing precedent, they're advancing the cause and creating this environment where it becomes harder for an employer to remain union free or to demonstrate compliance. And two points come to mind in light of your question that I know got a lot of employers' attention. One were dealt with, uh, and again, this was principally pushed through the general counsel's office, to my recollection, uh, but it it dealt with the simple idea of separation agreements or settlement agreements, which in the course of litigation, that's where we end up 90 plus percent of the time is, you know, if a case doesn't get dismissed, it's usually not going to, to trial. And there's resolution of some kind. And typically that resolution results in a two-way agreement where you know, each side gives something or gives up something and they, they reach a, an amicable compromise. And the board has said there that certain terms that are routinely kept in those types of agreements, like confidentiality provisions, like non-disparagement provisions, can in theory be violative of the act and therefore unenforceable. So that quickly got our attention. And, and 
listeners may be familiar that we've seen legislation on a state uh, introduced on a federal level you know, targeting these, these types of non-disclosure agreements because of a view that they tend to chill societal ills from seeing the light of day and being remedied. And, and I would submit to you that you know I'm not going to challenge that notion uh, or the principles behind it, but rather, in, in my experience, you know, usually both sides are eager to resolve it if they can find common ground and would much prefer not to talk about it and deal with it, deal with it again in the future. Uh, and so, you know, it, it is a two-way street. But the other, and this just happened yesterday, oh, the uh, general counsel issued a, a new memorandum. We do have a, a blog article that'll be going out on this, the, the New York Labor and Employment Law Report, our blog. Uh, but in that, Jennifer Abruzzo has taken the position that certain non-competes are unlawful uh, under the National Labor Relations Act. And again, uh, things that we've seen you know, commonly used in a wide variety of areas, these restrictive covenants, if you will, which are still lawful here in New York and many other states, uh, perhaps disfavored at times with certain employees, understandably, but that those can be unlawful. So uh, this is another area where you have a somewhat uh, common practice uh, in place where the, the labor board is now inserting itself and trying to force employers to have to make changes to their, their business practices. Again, I think we can have a fair and genuine debate and discussion about the merits of non-competes and restricted covenants. And I would submit to you that in many instances, they're valuable and necessary and ultimately you know, good for our economy and, and good for businesses and that it does come with benefits for employees too. It's not just, you know, a handcuff type situation. Yeah. I was going to actually say that, like you can see that like for people to innovate, for businesses to innovate, to be more competitive, they want, uh, you know, both the person and the business want incentives and, and the incentives are knowing that everyone can't just keep moving around. You can build your team, you can protect your product, your, you know, th so there's a lot of things that are pro-economic development. I agree. And that, hey, as as your employer, we, we want to share with you some some really sensitive and interesting uh, data or uh, other things. That we, yeah, we consider to be trade secrets. Yeah, that we think will help you do your job and help us to innovate and continue to be successful in the economy. So I can think there's value there for sure. So, again, interesting that like you know, one of Jennifer Bruzzo's predecessors, you know, focused years ago during the Obama administration on social media activity, right, on the part of employees, claiming it was protected where employees were getting terminated based on their social media activity or common terms found in employee handbooks like, hey, be respectful, right? You know, provisions like that were deemed to be unlawful and, you know, really egregious type of commentary that employees would make on social media about their employer, about supervisors were held to be protected. That this is kind of of that same form that we're seeing from the board and, and specifically Jennifer Abruzzo right now. Yeah, that so it's a lot and and these are actions that are not only important to organized labor, right? We think of that board and you've talked about this as like, oh, you know, that's about unions and union shops, people don't realize a lot of these recent developments are also important to employers without unions. Yeah, it's 100% true. And, and we've tried to do, I think, with success, some marketing in the past and, and making sure that our clients and friends of the firms are aware, you know, hey, 
much as you might wish to be able to, you can't tune out these issues and what's going on at the National Labor Relations Board because it can have a direct impact. So if you're sitting there and listening to this podcast and you're an employer hasn't had your handbook looked at in 10 years, five years, I'd say even two years now based on the frequency of change, you should because there are a number, if we just look at the, the NLRB and the act and, and the way it's been interpreted of late, there's a number of important points that you'll want to address. And I would say too, the, the ramifications for not addressing it uh, can be more vast than you may think, right? It, it may not be something as simple as, hey, fix your handbook, you know, because you have this unlawful at will disclaimer in there that wasn't drafted carefully enough, or you you require employees to keep employee information confidential, right? And use that generic term, which the board has said is problematic uh, in and of itself. Again, it's not something that will result in a simple notice that, hey, fix this. It, it can manifest itself into uh, you having to reinstate an employee and, and provide other other remedies if there's a deemed to be unlawful action. If you have a union organizing campaign that's afoot and you have provisions in your handbook or other policies in place, you prevail on the election, right? I could see a union pointing to those types of provisions and trying to argue that somehow the election was tainted and should not be upheld. So when I've talked to clients about this and looking at your policies, I know they hear this from other other sources and everyone does their best to stay on top of what is a long list of compliance concerns. But I would tell you, right, the stakes have gotten more significant when it comes to these these types of things. So put that review of policies and handbooks at the top of your list. Uh, it'll well, pay dividends. Exactly. It's important because also your data privacy policy is probably within that handbook. So just get that whole handbook looked at, right? Yeah. And there's the pay transparency stuff that's been happening. Like, just get those handbooks looked at. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot. You know, fortunately, we've got a great team. We're able to turn those those projects around quickly for our clients and efficiently. But yeah, you're, you're right. There's a lot of pieces. Well, so a lot of this, you know, is sort of high profile things people maybe have been hearing about in the media the organizing efforts by employees at well-known brands, which then starts to affect everyone, right? Because it's Starbucks, it's Amazon, it's Chipotle. Those high-profile things, do they sort of raise the reaction for some clients or, or get clients sort of more in tune? I think so. I've seen that. And certainly we've paid very close attention to these, these areas. We're here talking in New York, and that was really uh, just a bit west to us in Buffalo was ground zero for unions organizing campaign against Starbucks. And the flurry activity that, you know, with, with Starbucks is certainly noteworthy and has generated just a huge volume of, of cases that the board is, is dealing with and in, in interesting issues. I think it does leave a number of clients wondering, right, uh, especially if I'm in retail, Am I next, right? I've I've got stores and chains across a state or a geographic region. Is this yeah. something that that I need to be concerned about? And I would say absolutely, it is. So we we work with a number of clients uh, in this area who, you know, again, they they don't have a per se negative view of unions and and, and what right. unions do, and nor do I. You know, I have union members in my family. My my grandfather was a founding member of the 
plumbers union here in, in Syracuse. And, and that's just not my viewpoint, but uh, the viewpoint that I, I do support are my clients' views that say, look, we don't think we need a union here. We think we do things well. We have open doors. We're willing to make changes and, and to communicate with our employees about their, their thoughts and views. And we think we're better off without it. And what I would say is, if that's your point of view, it's just not enough for you to have that point of view. You need to be proactive. Um, you need to make sure that you do have those open lines of communication, that you are talking to your employees and allowing them to talk to you to express concerns. You have that release valve. Uh, and you need to be thoughtful about your policies and procedures and, and how you structure work. And I always say, right, you know, be be kind. Just uh, <laughs> never, never forget that. Um, don't don't lose sight of the the value and importance of being empathetic and kind. Of course, of your day to day work. Absolutely, because it's not like if everyone this would help us all, right? If everyone could look, this is not personal. It's two sides with two different opinions. And if you on the employer side have your facts in place, then it really helps as you're expressing that this is why this is the the argument we think we're doing it right. And here's here's why we think that. And it's better to make that argument if you have everything up to date and organized and you go into it with that sort of kind. Or let's quote Ted Lasso on the last potential last day of the show. Be curious, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like when yeah. you go into yeah. it with that, that mindset. I think that's right. Most times employers who I work with where we're brought in and dealing with a, a union organizing campaign, that's the first they're hearing about it is when a petition gets filed with the NLRB saying, hey, we have a critical mass of employees who want to organize. We need to have an election held. And if you haven't done anything at that point to help educate your employees about your views as a business and organization about remaining union free, why you think it's valuable, you're behind and you're behind by a wide margin there. Um, you'll have an opportunity to engage uh, with employees, but you're so, in my view, so much better off making sure that your management team and your supervisors are trained, right? That they're trained on, hey, here's what the act requires. Here's how it applies to us, even though we're, we are not a unionized workforce. Here are the things that we need to be mindful of. And again, some of these things are just central tenants to good HR, but you know, good discipline and documentation procedures, right? Being fair and consistent when you make decisions. Right. I feel like to think uh, that's what people want is just fairness at its core and making sure you do that. But then educating them um, to the extent necessary and appropriate, I'd say with with the advice of legal counsel, but educating them on your views on unionization. And if you're a business who feels it's very important to be an open shop or union free, uh, educating your employees about that. You don't want them thinking that it doesn't matter uh, to you. That's I'd right. say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think generally people want that fairness a little bit of transparency, you know, helps out. And then to know that they matter. So if it's something they're they're thinking about, you saying like, I get it and hearing it must help. That's been our experience over you know decades of practice. And I know it takes a lot to run a business, but the people side of it, as you well know from what you do is important. So a little time out of the day-to-day check in on that handbook and maybe tune into some Tuesday webinars uh, from Bon Chenick and King and listen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's continued. The programming is broader than just COVID and labor and employment matters, although we do try to always cover emergent issues in those areas. But yeah, so Tuesdays at noon, our webinars continue, started during the pandemic, and you know, we still have a, a great audience who attends regularly, and we'll, we'll keep it going as long as they keep attending. 
Yeah, it's great. I mean, it was a it's a terrific service because you know there's a lot of small businesses that along the way, you know, maybe will become big businesses. It's great that the attorneys at the firm are willing to do this, right? We we work on a billable hour, but this is something that the attorneys do to sort of give back to clients and to to give back to future clients, maybe as well. Our assessment at the time, gosh, going back to spring of 2020 now, is that it was too much, too much for clients to all process friends of the firm to process just businesses and communities they needed some some help and support just on what to do day to day which frankly was changing by the hour at some points so uh it was a service we were happy to provide and and happy to continue and i think it is rewarding to know that there's value for our communities uh, to get insight that they need yeah that's it's really fantastic it sort of just tells you a little bit about who everybody is at the firm, I think. Well, we've talked a lot about national issues. I think you're going to have to come back because there's also state and local and even industry specific things that employers need to pay attention to, aren't there? Yeah, certainly if you're in New York uh, and your business is in New York, you know, and or down in the city, uh, you do. And there's, you know, we could spend several podcasts talking about it, but I'll just, I'll mention this one point, Kim, that I think dovetails with your point. A lot of employers, really just to keep the doors open, were engaging remote workers wherever they may be, right? Folks went home to stay with parents or were, you know, situated in, in Idaho at, at friends or they were dispersed all over. And in my experience, that practice has continued with the proliferation of remote work and, and businesses and organizations figuring out that, hey, this, this works for us. We can do this. You keep in mind if you're employing an individual in another state besides New York, you're let's say you're a New York-based company there, even though they may not be working for any entities that are based in the state where they're situated, there can still be a number of tax and employment and registration compliance issues that arise in those situations. Uh, again, even though maybe they're not servicing a client or, or benefiting a business in that state where they're working, the fact that they're working for your business organization in that state can raise those issues. So this has been a steady stream of work for uh, a number of our clients since the pandemic, and it continues today where you know we're advising them on, hey, if, if you're going to be in California, for example, and have workers in California, uh, here are the things that you need to be mindful uh, with respect to compliance on the employment and labor front. And it's different from New York. Likewise, if it's Florida, it's different. If it's Idaho, if it's uh, Michigan, all these different states have different requirements. So keep that in mind too. Yeah, it's not as uh, seamless as we might want to hope it is. <laughs> yeah, the, the the work can be seamless. It's great. We have all this technology That's and right. <laughs> people are you know diligent and, and doing their work uh, remotely and they like it. That part's great. The We just can't lose sight of the compliance piece too. That's right. And each state gets to set their own. So call your uh, labor and employment attorney today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, Andy. Thanks for coming back to talk to us. It's always great to talk to you about labor issues and just catch up um, in general. So I do hope you'll come back to the podcast again before the thousandth episode. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for having me and good luck. Continued success to you and and Kate with the podcast. It's a great one. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond@bsk.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded.
Until our next talk, be well. Bond, Shenick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, laws can change quickly. You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is Attorney Advertising. Thank you.